And tonight, as you've heard, it's expect temptation. Um, If we could just stick the first slide on, if you would, please. Thank you. Um, And the passage linked with this, as you've just heard, is Genesis um, 39. We've got gremlins in the system again, have we? We're on, we're on. Good, don't, fine, great. Yes, I am now. Okay, thank you very much. Expect temptation. When I looked at this passage, I thought, well, adultery is, of course, a common temptation. Um, In a church that will remain nameless, a very large church, um, I was in church administration at the time, and I was asked by my boss because they'd asked for me, I'd been there to preach a few times, they asked me if I would be their pastor. And it was not an easy appointment, because um, the senior pastor, who was extremely well known, um, had unfortunately committed adultery several times, and with a member of the congregation. So, uh, It would be the height of naivety to think that uh, adultery is not a problem that faces Christian leaders at times. And if you read the Christian press, you will know that there are only allegations at the moment of uh, sexual um, inappropriate behaviour with some very well-known leaders. So... uh, Um, But we thank God for people like Billy Graham who remained totally clear of that for his entire ministry. But when I thought about the congregation tonight, I thought if I um, simply confine my subject to adultery and marital unfaithfulness, I doubt very much whether I will be hitting the target. Um, for, For all I know... That may not be the case, but I assume, I assume it's not. Um, but of course, the subject of temptation is much wider than uh, sexual immorality. Uh, so tonight I want to talk in more general terms about what temptation is and how to resist it. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I was taught indeed by the Billy Graham organisation... Uh, to to learn scripture and this is a particular scripture I memorised then in the old King James version Um, and it's a very key verse when it comes to temptation no temptation has seized you except what is common to man God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted He will also provide a way out or a way of escape, says the old King James Version, so that you can stand up under it. Um, That verse, a very key verse, is telling us three key things about temptation. Um, The first thing it's telling us is that every one of us, as Joan rightly said, gets tempted. We get tempted either to say the wrong thing to do the wrong thing, or to think the wrong things, just as Joseph was tempted. 
And if a Christian tells you that they are never tempted, then feel free to be sceptical. I just don't believe it. The second thing, for me anyway, that this verse is teaching us is that though God doesn't send temptation, he can work through us. The verse talks about God being faithful. And if temptation makes us exercise our faith, then all well and good. You see, the temptation to do wrong is at the same time the chance to do right. We can stand up under it, says that verse. And then I think that the third thing this verse is telling me anyway is that no matter how many times we are tempted, God and, God, and the devil knows our Achilles heel, doesn't he? He knows our weak spot. And no matter how many times we are tempted, God always provides a way of escape if, and this is the big if, if we're ready to take it. If my experience is anything to go by, the problem is we sometimes give in to temptation. We become happy with what we're doing, even though we know it's wrong. And we don't take that way of escape that God offers us. Now, you will know that in, in what we widely call today the disciples' prayer, but it's better named the model prayer, then temptation is mentioned there because we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The present Pope, I think rightly so, wanted to change that slightly because it is slightly confusing, that prayer, in that format. Let me explain mine. If we're going to understand that prayer, then we need to understand right at the start that there is a difference between temptation that is initiated by Satan and on the other hand um, tests which God puts our way or trials that God allows us to go through. Uh, the confusion actually is due to the fact that uh, in some English Bibles the word tempt is used to describe God's activity in our lives, where a more appropriate word would be trial. I'll give you a prime example. You'll all know the story in Genesis 22, where God told Abraham to offer up his son, Isaac, on Mount Moriah. In the old King James Version, and in many versions, it says God did tempt Abraham. Whereas a much more appropriate word there would be God did test Abraham. It was, of course, a test of his love and devotion to God. And thank God Abraham passed that test with flying colours because he believed that marvellous faith Abraham had, that even if he slew his son Isaac, God would raise him up again. So the difference between a test and temptation is this. I'll put it as succinctly as I can. God's tests or God's trials are for the purpose of producing better character in us, of making us more mature in our faith. So, when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, what we are effectively saying is, Lord, lead us away from the things that do cause us to be tempted. He may test us, but he will never 
tempt us. And we know that because the Bible uh, talks about two distinct sources of temptation. There is temptation that comes from within me and there is temptation that comes from without. Or to put that another way, there are temptations that start with us, with me. And there are temptations that come as a direct attack from Satan. Now, obviously, when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was tempted. So people who say, you know, temptation is sin is a nonsense, or they're never tempted. Even our Lord was tempted. But because the Lord did not have a fallen nature, because he was sinless, then his temptation must have come directly from Satan. That's why it was so hard to resist. Now, most of the time, the temptations we have start on the inside of us. I think it's a bit of a cop-out when people say, I couldn't help it, the devil made me do it. No, the devil did not make them do it directly. It was their fallen nature which they gave into. We have a fallen nature. So to do wrong is in one sense to do what comes naturally. James, in his epistle, speaks of this kind of temptation. He says, each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. So all the way through the Christian life, we are faced with temptation. But how we handle that is the key to either spiritual victory or spiritual defeat. And I'll say more about that in a moment. But first of all, it's very important for us to see as Christians that we have three enemies. There is the world, the flesh and the devil. And each of those three things is linked with temptation or spiritual defeat. So, um, let's talk about these now. Um, just to reiterate what I've said, everyone gets tempted. God doesn't send temptation, but God can work good out of it, and God provides a way of escape. And the two sources of temptation I spoke about were um, our fallen nature and temptations that occasionally with us come as a direct attack from Satan as they did with our Lord in the wilderness. But here are the three great enemies we all face. The first enemy is the world. But we need to understand what we mean by the world. Um, the word world in English is used in different ways in the Bible. For example, um, Acts chapter 17 verse 24 speaks of the God who made the world and everything in it. So that is the created world. So when, as we did on, on uh, was it Friday, with our cousins, went out walking and saw beautiful nature and saw the bluebells in the wood and saw everything. Isn't it amazing? Spring. Went out one day, no leaves on the trees. The next day, two days later rather, when the sun came out, everything was green. That is the created world. That's not an enemy to us. That is a friend to us. We love to see the world, don't we? Another use of the word world 
in the Bible, it's a very well-known verse, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. For God so, what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The reference there is to the people in the world. He gave his only begotten son for us. He's talking about the people of the world. So, neither of those two things, the created world or its inhabitants, is what our real enemy is. But what does oppose us is what I've called the world system, headed up by Satan, that's based upon self, greed and pride. And that's the world that we are to shun as Christians. It was the temptation, actually, that Christ himself faced. The Bible says the devil led him to a high mountain and showed him, in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. Fame and fortune instead of obedience. And that, in its various forms, is the temptation we face. But the teaching of the Bible is absolutely clear. Romans 12, verse 1. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. And throughout the scriptures definite lines are drawn between the world of believers and the world of unbelievers. Friendship, one verse even says friendship with the world is hatred toward God. So we have a decision to make. And if we infiltrate too much into that world, then we're going to face more temptation. So how exactly does the world affect us? I think it would be helpful here to think of what Paul said to a church in the New Testament, the church in Corinth. Corinth was, one, was in fact the most important city in modern day Greece. It was a centre of commerce, the centre of educational institutions, but it was also at the same time a notoriously wicked city. Um, Rich and beautiful, but spiritually sinful and corrupt. Uh, In fact, it was very much like the great cities of today, London, Paris, New York. You know, they're rich in one sense, um, they're rich in culture, all the fantastic museums are in London Uh, they're rich in architecture when you you, you think of man's skill in putting up the shard but for all that those big cities including London are full of sin and the pull of the world living uh, on the Christians living in Paul's day in that city of Corinth was great and they had to be very very strong They'd recently been delivered from immorality, from sin, from everything that that is contrary to the Spirit. And Paul is saying, you've got to resist that temptation. You've got to overcome it. And this is true for us. Yes, even in Little Stafford. If we deny that, if we claim that the world doesn't have an influence on us, then we are either dishonest or incredibly naive. All of us face pressure. All of us. And sometimes, and I'm talking to all of you tonight, including myself, all of us at times give in to it. 
The second enemy we face is not only the world and it, it impinges on temptation is what we call flesh. Um, by the word flesh, uh, I mean the natural inclinations of our nature, the one we're born with. I find it assuring, uh, I did especially as a young Christian, but even more so now, that Paul of all people, Paul of all people, the man who wrote most of the New Testament says he had a problem with his flesh. He's quite honest about it in Romans 7. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. Hang on, is this Paul? Yes, it is Paul. That is nothing lives that's good in my sinful nature. For I desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. But what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep doing. Now, there are some people who say, well, that was after he, before he got sanctified. I frankly don't believe that. I think Paul was being honest about the struggle we all face at times. You know, new converts have sometimes come to me and they've said, um, Pastor, there must be something wrong with my Christian life. I've had this frequently. And I say, why? They say, well, there, there is still a struggle going on inside me. A real struggle. And I, 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 it's making me doubt my salvation. But this, as far as Paul was concerned, is what being a Christian is all about. It's what we all face. What is happening is our new nature, the one we receive the moment we become a Christian, is in conflict with our old nature, the old Trevor Partington or the old you. But when we give in to our old nature, then we commit what Galatians 5 calls the works of the flesh. But when we submit to our new nature, then that same chapter tells us that we have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Years ago, there was an Englishman, he was bonkers, as far as I'm concerned, called Bobby Leach. And I can't believe this. There's always people who want to do scary things, aren't there? And Bobby Leach got in a barrel and rolled over Niagara Falls. And he didn't harm himself at all. And yet that same man, and I think it was London, when he got home, he slipped on an orange peel and was taken to a hospital with a, fractured, a badly fractured leg. And temptation, I find, can be just like that. You know, sometimes we can face Niagara's in our life. You know, we're victorious in the name of Jesus and all the rest of it. But then, seemingly little insignificant things catch us because we're not spiritually alert. That's why Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then the third enemy that we face is the devil. The devil. He's the most I, I'm telling you what you know. He's the most powerful enemy we face. But I think we need to remain very balanced in our thinking. It's not 
helpful in my view anyway, to leave impressionable Christians with the idea that in their walk with God they live on a knife edge. And, you know, the devil can get them at any moment. Uh, That does not lead to assurance in their Christian life. In fact, for some people it's a cop-out. As I said earlier, oh, the devil made me do it. No, the devil did not make them do it. The Scriptures, please, I don't want you to misunderstand me. The Scriptures tell us to be aware of the devil's influence. And on our guard, yes. But at the same time, to be aware of our place in Christ. A place of victory. Um, There was a man called Michael Green who actually, when I was on the ministry team in our Sally Oak Church, he came one Sunday. What a lovely man Michael Green is. And he wrote a a selection of excellent books called I Believe, some of which you may have read. One was called I Believe in the Resurrection. Another one was called I Believe in the Church. But in the book which deals with the devil, instead of calling it I Believe in the Devil, I think very wisely he said, he called the book I Believe in Satan's Downfall. Very wise. It's a much more positive note to strike. The balance is right. We're wrong to disregard the powers of darkness, but we're wrong too to overemphasize the devil's influence in our life so it clouds our vision of God. Admittedly, it's not always easy to identify the devil's activity in our life. In fact, the scriptures say he can masquerade as an angel of light. That's in Corinthians. And I think that the devil will employ every device at his command to harass us, to tempt us, and to hurt the people of God. Paul the Apostle said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, flesh and blood can be our problem. And if you don't believe me, if you saw the dreadful news tonight about the bombing of that cathedral in Indonesia, you you say that's the devil's work. It certainly is. But individually, in our life, through Christ, God provides us with the power to overcome Satan. Jesus, our commander-in-chief, says, he has no hold on me. So, with his help, we can overcome because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is against us. So the $64,000 question is this. How do I resist temptation? I face these enemies, how do I resist it? We recognise that Jesus is the victor. We understand, as you rightly said, the Holy Spirit is inside us. But what active part do we have to play? And here let me draw your attention to two particular scriptures. The first is in Romans 13. And that verse says, Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus and do not think how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Or as the older King James Version puts it, make no provision for the flesh. And there are lots of verses which are emphasising the same thing. The most well-known one is that one in Philippians, um, which talks about um, whatever 
is true, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about those things. In other words, I overcome temptation when I centre my thoughts on Jesus. When I don't feed temptation. Um, I, I heard about a Red Indian who got converted and he went to his pastor and in very basic language he said, something wrong. He said, I've got two people fighting inside me. And he said, two people fighting inside you. He said, which of them, which of those two win? And the Red Indian says, the one I encourage always wins. You see, temptation itself is not sin. To quote one preacher, it is the devil looking through the keyhole, but sin is opening the door and inviting him in. I think that puts it so well. This we must not do, no matter how persistent the temptation is, not feeding the flesh. And then the second passage that helps us to overcome temptation is the word of our testimony. This verse talks about Christians overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb, of course, is a reference to the cross. Everything centres on the cross. That's where victory begins. That's where our victory comes from. But the word of our testimony um, could mean a number of things. Uh, for instance, when the Lord was in the wilderness, how did he overcome temptation? What did he do? He quoted scripture. There's one thing the devil does not like to hear, and that's the truth of scripture. But the other way in which we overcome temptation is by declaring our faith to others. Sometimes I believe that the cutting edge of our testimony can get blunt by lack of use. And Jan, I'm going to use street pastors as an example. For nearly 50 years I was a regular preacher and pastor. And you can get cloistered behind the four walls of a church with holy Anne, holy brother at the back there, Saint Andrew, you never hear bad language. Everything is lovely in the house of God. Then you go on the streets and you have the F word and worse every few minutes. Awful blasphemy. Let me tell you, as a regular pastor, that sharpened me up immediately. That made me realise that the word of my testimony was important in fact, the other day someone said to me, I was an atheist, I think, two weeks ago, but I'm beginning to change my mind. What an opportunity to give the word of my testimony, which I did. So I think sometimes our evangelical court sword gets a bit blunt because we don't really see it as it is. I want to say more about that in a moment. As well as declaring our testimony, another step we must take, and you think I'm going to contradict myself now, is by not allowing our worlds to get mixed up. It's a difficult one, this. Let me explain what I mean. We're not to assimilate with the world, 
we are to witness to the world. I went street pastoring the other night with Lazio. Lazio, if you don't know, is from Hungary. And I said, Lazio, have they got street pastors yet in Hungary? He says, they're not too happy about it. So I said, how's that? He said, well, they think by going on the streets and helping the young people, we're encouraging drinking. Um, the, the church feels that we should be separate from the world. The Bible says we are to love the world that God loves. We're to weep with those that weep, suffer with those that suffer, identify with the poor, the sick and the needy, yet reach out to them in a way that can sometimes present us with a problem. We want to associate ourselves with people in the world, but without being contaminated by the world. And that, I think, is not a situation that is easily resolved. And I understand the Hungarians' reservation about that. But there's got to be separation, not isolation. We need to develop friendships with non-Christians, I'm convinced of this, but the longer we are a Christian, it's much more likely that the only friends we'll have will be believers. When I first became a Christian, I was told that to avoid, these were the very words, to avoid temptation, Trevor, you must set yourself apart from the world. And the verse that was quoted was, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Now, in fairness to those saintly people who told me that as a young man, they probably thought, well, as a young Christian, if I mix too much with my former peers, I'll get influenced by them. But with maturity, I began to see that I would never, ever have an opportunity to witness unless I did at times mix with unbelievers. And that's logic. But when we choose to regularly socialise with non-Christians, we need to make sure that our walk with the Lord is close. Otherwise we can get assimilated with the world and temptation can come in. To quote Paul in a famous paraphrase, the world can squeeze us into its mould. It's good for a ship to be in the sea, but it's bad when the sea gets in the ship. That says it all. That's why Jesus, in his prayer to his heavenly Father, says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil. The temptation that Joseph faced in Egypt may be a million miles from the temptation you face. You may never have been tempted to commit adultery. You may have been faithful to your wife if you're married all your life, and that's wonderful. But in many other ways, the temptation that Joseph faced is not dissimilar to ours. And in many other ways, the world, the flesh, and the devil is seeking to destroy our faith. I'm conscious of it all the time. The attack 
is relentless. And it's what walking by faith is all about. Every day. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Any time we can face temptation. But thank God to finish on a positive note. However fierce the conflict is, we can be more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Let's believe that, shall we, with all our heart. And let's individually and as a church claim our victory now in Jesus' name. May God bless his word to all our hearts. Amen.